This is Alan Johnson, pastor of Old Peachtree Presbyterian Church in Duluth, Georgia. The Bible is God's word. It describes itself as living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Therefore, any encounter with the Bible is a momentous thing because it never leaves us unchanged. My prayer for you as you hear this message is that the Holy Spirit will use it in your life to inform your mind, to feed your soul, and to help you grow in your faith in Christ. Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. While you're turning there, I just want to express my appreciation to Hunter Bailey uh, for filling in for me a couple of weeks ago and for Bob Sweet last Sunday. Uh, You may know Bob was the interim pastor here before I came and was the presiding officer of the commission that installed me here as pastor, the Presbytery Commission that installed me here as pastor at Old Peachtree. And I remain close to Bob over the years since, uh, seeing him nearly monthly with a group of us that meet together up at Chestnut Mountain Presbyterian Church. Uh, But Bob has been a great encouragement to me uh, and to this church indirectly over the years. Uh, It was Bob Sweet who, when I first came here, gave me a verse to think about, to pray about. It was uh, Psalm 8110. I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Open wide your mouth and I will fill it. And uh, with what small faith I had, I did open my mouth, and the Lord did and continues to to fill it. And so I'm very thankful to both Hunter with his work at Emory and also Bob Sweet uh, for being here. But I'm glad to be back with you. Uh, We are continuing in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7 now. We're looking this morning at verses 13 and 14. Hear the word of God. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the scriptures which are able to make us wise for salvation. And, Father, we ask for your grace now as we look at these verses. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. As Americans, we like options. We like lots of them. We generally don't like being forced to have to choose between option A and option B. We'd rather have a choice among option A, B, C, D, and E, and maybe have additional options available to us if for some reason uh, none of those suit our fancy. Now, the fact is that too many options can become overwhelming to us, even who have plenty of them, but especially to those who uh, are not accustomed to having to choose among so many choices. Uh, In fact, when I was down in Peru, I asked one of the American missionaries down there who had been down there for years if uh, she experienced reverse culture shock when she came back to the United States. You get so accustomed to the culture in Peru that to come home doesn't feel much like home. And she said yes sometimes. And one thing she specifically mentioned was going to the grocery store and being faced with an array of choices in breakfast cereal. It was almost overwhelming. She said in Peru, you pretty much have two choices, and they would have one one week and the other the next. It was simple. It was easy. 
Well, as we look at the passage before us this morning, we're on the Peru plan. You have A or B. There are no other options. There is no middle ground. And so what we want to do is look at these two choices, these two options that Jesus sets before us in this passage. There's a sense in which Jesus is beginning to wrap up the Sermon on the Mount. Of course, it ends with the end of chapter 7. But each of these remaining paragraphs that we'll look at over the coming weeks present us with a choice of two things. Here, a choice of two paths, uh, verses 15 and following, a choice of two uh, trees, uh, and then a choice of uh, pleas that we would make to God, whether our words or our deeds. And finally, in the last uh, closing passage, a choice of foundations on which we are building. But here, Jesus sets before us a choice of two paths, two directions. And again, we are either on one or the other, cannot be on both, and there is no middle way. Well, let's look then at the first path that Jesus mentions here. He says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. The first path that Jesus talks about here has a wide gate, a wide entrance, a large mouth into which many people may pass. Now, Jesus describes people entering this gate, but it seems best perhaps, and he describes it that way for the sake of the analogy, but it seems best to understand that this is by default, by uh, consequence of our fallen and sinful natures, that we have already entered this broad gate, this wide gate that Jesus describes here. Uh, And so we do well to think of ourselves in terms of our fallen sinful nature as having already entered this gate. But it is a wide gate. It's very obvious. It's present there. And the fact is that you can pass through it quite easily. One writer says there's evidently no limit to the luggage we can take with us as we enter through this gate. You see, you can enter this gate with all of your sins, your self-righteousness, your pride, All of that intact, it fits quite easily, quite broadly, as we go through this wide gate. What it also has, as Jesus describes it here, an easy way. Having entered through this wide, inviting gate, we then find that the path we're on is an easy way. Uh, The Greek term here describes it being broad, describes it as spacious. There's plenty of room here, plenty of elbow room, plenty of room to spread out, plenty of room on this easy way for various opinions about what is right and what is wrong, various thoughts about what is true and what is false, about morals, all kinds of things. There's plenty of room here to be tolerant, to be broad in our opinions, to be accepting of all kinds of various and even contradictory points of view. You see, this way is easy because it accords with our fallen nature, with our sinful desires, such things as hypocrisy, 
Such things as a merely external form of religion. Such things here as a hypercritical spirit toward others. The things Jesus has been talking about are easily carried along with us on this easy way. It's easy because we're merely going along with the flow. We're merely floating down the stream of our own fallen and sinful natures without having to resist, without having to give up anything, without having to leave anything behind. You see, to resist those things requires effort. Well, on this easy way, no effort is required. We're merely making our way along on this broad, this easy way. Even so... It is a crowded way. We read here, Jesus says, that those who enter by it are many. As Jesus talks about this way, we might think of it as a wide, bustling thoroughfare, plenty of company, lots of people making their way along this way with us. If we weren't clogged up so often, we might even think of it as Interstate 85, maybe on a day when the traffic is moving quite nicely. It's very wide, a lot of other cars there, but not so many as to clog it up. That's a rare occasion, but it sometimes happens. But at any rate, large crowd of people, lots of company, jovial, happy, making their way along, apparently laughing, carefree, easygoing, somewhat ironic. Uh, if you think about it in light of the destination. And that's another thing that Jesus mentions about this way. He says, the gate is wide. The way is easy. That leads to destruction. And that is the, the tragedy. That is the danger here, is the direction, the end. Uh, the gate is inviting. The way itself is easy and wide. Uh, Lots and lots of other people are on this way, so it must be the right way. But it, in fact, is a suicidal way because the end of it is destruction. Now, apparently, the crowd is oblivious of this or chooses to ignore it as they make their way along. Uh, And yet, Jesus says the end is destruction. He does not elaborate, but certainly from... The rest of Scripture, we can draw some conclusions about what this destruction looks like. It is not obliteration. It is not annihilation. But rather, it is the unending misery of hell, the unending judgment of God, the condemnation against one who has rebelled against the sovereign Lord of the universe without repentance, without turning from sin, without any remedy for his own or her own guilt before a holy God. The scriptures are quite plain about this, and Jesus sums it up in simply one word, that the end of this inviting and wide and easy and seemingly carefree path is that of nothing less than hell itself. So that's the first option that we find before us. And again, I would say that this option is one of default. Yes, he speaks of those who enter, but I would suggest to you our entrance has already taken place. Our entrance is a result of our being sons of Adam, daughters of Eve, already fallen, already born in iniquity, conceived in iniquity, as David puts it, and that we are already 
uh, entered through this wide gate, already on this easy path. You know, Psalm 73 speaks about the perspective of one, or speaks from the perspective of one who wrestles with the difficulties that he, as someone who fears God and seeks to serve God, suffers, while at the same time those who live in their wickedness seem to have an easy go of it. And it, it, it's frustrating. It, it brings consternation to him. Lord, how can this be? I serve you. I sacrifice for you. I follow you. I try to live righteously. And it's hard. And I suffer. And I hurt. And these people who could not care less about what is right and about what is true and about what is good, they don't have any problems. They just float along. Life is easy. Life is good. Life's a big party. Who could care less about what's right and wrong, true, false, good, evil? And he said, I thought even about just abandoning, following you. That's how deep it had gotten. That's how frustrating and how hard it had gotten for him. He said, until I perceived their end. See, he entered into the sanctuary. He came into the presence of God. And he gained a divine point of view. He saw more than just their carefree lifestyle, more than just their laughter, more than just their indulgence of their fallen natures. He saw where it all led. He saw the end of their way. And he was embarrassed. Embarrassed before God. He says, I was like a beast. I was like a mere animal before you that does nothing but live for its next meal. Just like they do. Once I saw their end, he says, then the whole thing changed. And he was, again, devoted to the Lord. He could suffer anything for Christ because he had seen the outcome. Well, that's what Jesus is telling us here. You and I, as we live by faith, means having faith, having the eyes of faith to see the end, to see the outcome, to see the final result, to see where this is all going. And that's what Jesus tells us here in very plain terms. The gate is wide. The road is easy. The companionship abundant. But it all goes off a cliff. They're all on a river that goes over a waterfall. The end is destruction in hell forever. But Jesus presents us with a second way. Jesus says in verse 14, For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Well, first of all, he says this gate is narrow. One might even say it could easily be missed in the crowdedness of life, and yet it is there. Uh, it's a narrow gate. It's a tight squeeze. In fact, Jesus in another place Speaking uh, to his disciples after the rich ruler walked away, Jesus said, it's hard for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom. He said, it's easier for a man to go through the or a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom. A camel to go through the eye of a needle is a tight squeeze. And really, Jesus, while addressing those who are wealthy, and in the case of this young man, so attached to his wealth that he would rather have it than Jesus, that applies to all of us. We all have our gods, our idols, that are hard for us to let go of, 
And really, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And Jesus wasn't talking about some gate. He was talking about what's impossible. You can't put a camel through the eye of a needle. Than it is for any of us with our idols to be saved. And the disciples said, well, who can be saved? And Jesus said, with man it's impossible, but with God all things are possible, including your salvation. Including that camel going through the eye of a needle. Including you and and me going through that, that narrow gate. It's a tight squeeze. We need God's grace. Because going through that gate means it's not wide enough for us to carry all of our baggage with us. You see, we have to leave behind all kinds of things. Jesus, again, uh, further along in Mark 10, in the same passage, talking to his disciples, he says, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel. You see, that's what we leave behind to enter through that narrow gate. Who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. You see, entering the narrow gate requires self-denial. Jesus says, let a man deny himself and come after me. You see, this is a narrow gate. We have to leave behind our pride, our self-centeredness, our hypocritical spirits our self-exaltation, our high opinions of ourselves and our righteousness and our works, and humble ourselves and come clinging to nothing but the, the cross of Christ alone. Jesus, in another place, uses a similar image where he likens himself to being a door. And it's two different words in Greek, gate or door, although in, like in English they, they're very similar. A gate or a door is a place of entrance, a place where we gain admittance. And Jesus says to his disciples, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The gate is narrow because the gate, the door, is Jesus. There is no other way. Jesus said, I am the way. No one comes to the Father except by me. And that is narrow. And you know full well in our day, that's a very narrow-minded way of thinking. Absolutely right. Jesus said it first, the gate is narrow. There's only one way. Jesus is the gate. We enter only by emptying our hands and clinging to him alone in faith. It's also a hard way. It has a narrow gate and it's a hard and difficult way. Why is it hard? It's hard because it has curves. It has boundaries. It has restrictions that are clearly marked. John Stott puts it this way. He says, the narrowness of this gate, the boundaries of the path, are due to something called divine revelation, which restricts pilgrims to the confines of what God has revealed in Scripture to be true and good. You see, this is a hard way because it calls sin, sin. Because it says that this action and this behavior and this way of thinking and those words are not acceptable to God. And not acceptable for his people. It's a hard way because it requires our putting sin to death. It's a hard way because it requires our turning from what is natural to our fallen selves. And living in a way that honestly is alien to us. And yet possible by God's grace. A new way. A new life. Christ-like. Holy. Obedient. 
possible for new creatures in Christ and yet alien to who we are in our fallen natures. And it's hard. Struggling against sin is hard. Wrestling against temptation can be difficult. How much easier just to go with the current of our sin? And yet as Christians, the hard way means we're fighting an upstream battle. We're running uphill. The gravity of our sin is pulling against us. It can be wearying. It can be tiresome. We do cry out, like Asaph in Psalm 73, in frustration. It is a hard way. But we need to be careful to understand that even in the difficulty of it, it is a joyful way. Jesus said, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. The paradox is that even as we struggle against sin... For obedience by God's grace, there is joy. There is life. Because we've learned through hard experience that sin ultimately does not satisfy. Sin ultimately does not bring joy. It does not bring contentment. It does not bring peace. And so we experience those things even in the fight against sin, even in the struggle for Christ's likeness in our lives. This is why it's a hard way. It's contrary to our fallen nature. And yet it is in accord with our new nature in Christ Jesus. It's also, as Jesus says here, a road comparatively less traveled. Jesus says those who find it are few. Now this may raise the question, well, how many are going to be saved? Well, certainly comparatively uh, with the the, the wide gate and the easy way, it seems there are fewer people on this path. We don't rule out other passages of Scripture where John saw you know, in Revelation that multitude that no man could count. Vast crowd of those who are redeemed. But exactly how many? Jesus doesn't answer. There is another place where he speaks in these terms and somebody asks him about how many will be saved. And Jesus' answer basically is, don't worry about how many others will be saved. You be concerned with your own salvation. That's in uh, Luke chapter 13, by the way, if you want to follow up on that, verses 22 through 30. We're to worry about our own salvation, not how many others are saved. But also, with this crowd going along, uh, I think we would have to say that even though there are few, even though it's a hard way, that it too is a, is a happy and joy-filled crowd. A joy that derives not from the passing pleasures of sin, but from knowing God. Uh, of course, if you're familiar with John Bunyan's book, Pilgrim's Progress, uh, perhaps images from that book come to mind, even as you think about the ways and the gates, because those figure prominently in, 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 that, in that book. Bunyan depicts these on the narrow way as just a happy band of pilgrims, Hand in hand, backs turned upon sin and faces set toward the celestial city. And as he puts it, singing songs of expectation, marching to the promised land. It's a hard way, a narrow gate, not as many on it. But that's not to say it's a miserable or unhappy existence. Those who are on it are glad to be there and have real joy. Because ultimately, the end is life. Jesus says the way is hard that leads to life. Now, there are two ways. That's, there's nothing new. The Old Testament, Moses, speaking to the people in Deuteronomy 30, says, See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. Verse 19, he says, I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live. The life of knowing God. The life of 
good relationships and fellowship with others, the joy of the new heavens and the new earth and the anticipation of that life here and life in the world to come. So Jesus lays down these two paths. Which is it for you? It's either one or the other. There's no middle way. Certainly can't have both. Jesus has already told us earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, you cannot serve both God and mammon or the world. You have to choose. By default, you're on one. To be on the other is a conscious choice made by the grace of God. Now, Jesus has already cleared things up for us, helpfully, because at the very beginning, he said, enter by the narrow gate. And then he's just given us the reasons. One leads to the broad way leads to destruction. The narrow gate leads to life. Door number one, door number two. You have to pick. The difference is you know what lies behind each door. The agonies of hell, the joys of heaven. It really is that simple. The gate, the narrow gate, may require you to leave much behind, and yet Jesus will replace it with far more than you could have imagined. The gate, the way may be narrow, defined as it is, and bounded by God's word. There may not be as much company on it, but it is a way of joy, and it is a way that leads to life, eternal life. The destination, you see, makes it all worthwhile. And the destination, ultimately, is what we need to look at. Robert Frost was most likely not writing with the kingdom of God in mind when he wrote his poem, The Road Not Taken, but the last few lines of that poem certainly apply to what Jesus was saying here. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by. And that has made all the difference. Let's pray. Father, indeed, what a difference the road of the kingdom of Christ makes in our lives and what a difference it will make in the age to come. Father, I pray that by your grace, every single one of us in this room would enter that narrow gate through Christ himself, who is the door, that we in faith would walk the hard way, enjoying fellowship with our fellow travelers, because the end of it is eternal life with you in glory forever. And we pray it in Jesus' name with thanksgiving. Amen.